So, folks, uh, joining us again on the uh, Intent Discussions podcast is my dear friend, Francois Hicher. We spoke before. Uh, as I indicated, Francois had a very long and illustrious career in the financial services sector as a very senior HR person. He um, ended his career as the HR director of the First Rand Group. And uh, we had a fascinating conversation before about the role of HR and, and almost the, 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 the overplayed role of HR in, in organizations. And um, so welcome again, Francois, very nice to see you. And uh, you indicated to me a minute before that, that uh, there's almost like an erratum that you'd like to mention with regard to our previous conversation. Uh, can you just tell me a little bit about that? What, what did you want to say about, you had a view on, on HR functions that, uh, that, that you'd like to refer to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Esko. Uh, just to refer back and also something that you mentioned and, and you must help me, but I think it's in your first book where you, there was something that I read that uh, you said that there's an inverse correlation between the size and the, uh, of HR and, and the business success. No. And it's as if, uh, I think what you meant there is it takes the, um, the focus away from the business to, to HR, but that doesn't mean to people. No. I don't know if you want to say something about that. that so so basically, the, the, it was the idea of, of surrogacy. And um, yeah. what we did demonstrate is that if you had the degree to which management employed HR functions, or not HR functions, what we call surrogate functions, to deal with the human problem, was the degree to which there was a, people didn't trust management. So, so by surrogate function, we meant using a stand-in or a proxy function to look after the people so that enterprise leadership of, have their hands loosened in a sense for them to go and pursue the job of making money. Now, now, I mean, that framing becomes problematic because the, then, you know, the leadership of the enterprise, in a sense, outsource the looking after the people. And it's precisely looking, it's precisely looking after the people that gives the boss the right to be in charge. So we actually demonstrated an inverse relationship between the size of any surrogate function like HR and the degree of trust in management. The bigger the, the surrogate functions became, the less trust there was in management. Okay, I like the word surrogate function because I often used to, to explain that a staff function and people not always understand the difference, yeah. you know, what's a staff function. Mm -hmm. So what I mean with that is, and, and remember the analogy I used in the first uh, interview to say you don't marry a woman and get someone else to love her for you. That's right, yeah. You yeah. don't outsource loving and as it, you don't outsource caring for care or you know, the, the well-being of your people. Mm -hmm. So what you get is that these surrogate functions develop arms and legs of their own. Mm. So what I often said is that if you give someone a table and a pot plant, they start appointing people. You know, they get a BA and then <laughs> it becomes big. And, and, and they have to justify. Uh -huh. And the moment there is a bit of a crisis or... or Cost cutting, then these guys fight more, yeah. and yeah. I was there, so I, uh, I was part of that. 
to, to justify. As, a, as, as you talked about the analogy of a doctor, mm. uh, a doctor, they don't necessarily want healthy people mm. uh, because then they, they're sort of in trouble. So you have to constantly uh, justify. And then the other thing is uh, nowadays where we have the, the uh, focus on compliance, and also, I'm quite quoting you uh, where you said uh, uh, somewhere, you said if you have people who check other people, the quality of the work, you take the accountability away from the person who does it from the person yeah. who checks it. That's correct. Yeah. So the person who does it feel that someone is going to check it. But the accountability must stop there yeah. at the person who does it. And that's the problem now with this tick, tick box uh, approach mm -hmm. where people are less responsible and it's yeah. sad to see if you walk in the corridors you see people spend more time on compliance meetings than than on real business mm -hmm. but right. what i felt about hr when i said to the ceo Hili Mayer at momentum and beginning when when we dismantled as it were mm -hmm. hr and remember with that i'm not downplaying the role of Right. But it's how it's been played. So he right. said to me, okay, that's all well and fine, but what is your philosophy on mm. HR? And mm. I said, you know, we all have a view and your term attention, but the, the way we view something, the, the, the movie that we have in our head, mm. will determine how we act. Right. So if I have a view of people, I will treat them in a certain way. Mm. And my premise is that the way I see someone will determine the outcome of any relationship. Right. Not the way I treat them. If I discipline my child because I want to prove I'm a good father, I'll most probably mess it up. But if my intent is the growth of my child and I see his potential, then my discipline in him will be totally different. That's correct. Yeah. And that's your point of intent. Yeah, and yeah. I might call it the way I see someone. Right. So I said, it's important that we, because what do we do? We're in a people business in an organization like Momentum. We have to get together to decide, but how do we see our people? Mm -hmm. And he asked me that question, and that is, I'll just share with you what I then... Uh, and that, that's been totally accepted then by the executive team at that mm -hmm. stage. But mm -hmm. I said for us to be sustainable in our business, we have to decide, you know, the way we see people. And, 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 and we decided that we feel, we believe people are inherently good and want to accept responsibility for the accomplishment of their objectives as well as their own development. Mm. Uh, they people accept that they don't change if they walk into your term styles. in the mm. right circumstances the average person not only accepts responsibility but also looks for it now mm. if that's your view of people you're going to have a total different approach and we felt from the beginning we want a, a, a situation that we have a value-based organization and not policies and procedures mm -hmm. but on, on values and that that to us was sacrosanct uh, mm -hmm. and we said if people are freed from the baggage and the clutter of bureaucratic rules and restrictions and allowed to make their own choices they will inherently choose to do the same sensible thing. Mm -hmm. so the role of 
the leader and the managers is to break down bureaucracy mm -hmm. because bureaucracy is the killer. Now, you know how successful our children is and, and, and uh, the CEO of our children is then. If you ask him, what is your, what, what, what do you focus on every day? Mm. Then he would tell you to break down bureaucracy. You know, you walk, you walk. He, he moved around with shorts and a t-shirt, Belimurus, uh, because that's what he believed. Now, now, just the last point here, we can go on and on, but yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. last one yeah, is, yeah, yeah. it is easier for people to make a sensible choice if they are well informed and understand the objectives of the company. Mm. If people know where they're going, if they're well informed, they will make the right uh, decisions. No, exactly. uh, and we, we honestly believe that. Oh, yeah. Francois, the the so so there's I'd, I'd like you to just just a caveat to what you're saying. I'm, I mean, um, one can wrap one's head around that in the financial industry, financial services industry, because you've got a reasonably um, sophisticated employee. Do you think what you're saying is okay. also in um, sort of you know? Is it like narrow reef, deep level mines where you have very unsophisticated people that are uh, highly unionized and that are deeply suspicious of management and its intentions? Okay, I, I buy that. And I would. That's a question. I mean, do you think it still holds true? What you Yeah, no, no, but I mean, I, I get your point. Oh. And I, I, I would have liked to draw a bit of, you know, this typical consultancy quadrant, you know, where you have four blocks. Yes. And if you can just in, in visualize that. Yes, yes, yes. Then yes. On, the one, on the one hand, you, you have um, a competency and mm. the other one is initiative. Mm, mm. Now you, you get a place with high competency and high initiative. You've mm. got that. And I would say a merchant bank would have that. That's right. Yeah. Or maybe a financial services. Yeah. Yeah. Then you have, uh, and I'll give you a very good example, but you have high competency and low initiative. Mm. And in a sense, with all respect, a place like F&B could have there when we, when we right. actually took right. over. Right. There was a, a high competency, mm. but there was very bureaucratic. And you cannot just put more competency in there. Uh, because there's not intermediate spirit, then you get this yes, but environment. People yeah. say yes, if you come in your initiative, yes, it will work, but it hasn't worked in the past. But you get a situation where you have low competency, but high initiative. Mm. And that is what happened in the dot-com era. People didn't have the expertise, but they wanted to do new things, and it's oh, all yeah. nose yeah. Yeah. But you do get an, a place where you might have not the competency and the initiative. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking you wouldn't, in the army, say, you know, give people total freedom with no. you know, no. things with a long yeah. pipe, and you can stick stuff in there, <laughs> and it's a little explosion. There you have to, you have to maybe have some form of rules, but you must understand where you're at and what you're working with. Okay. Okay. But still, wherever you are, the way you see people will determine the outcome of any interaction. And, and you're also so suggesting, I see, 
that those that those those assumptions that you indicated to Hilly Mayer at Momentum, those are kind of universally true. I mean, those assumptions are true. They just need to be calibrated for the uh, the context. Yeah, but listen. Also, I I, I agree totally. Calibrated, but we will err uh, on the side that we see people as objects that can uh, help me to get to my own objectives oh, right. and, and that's a, I think that's the big danger in any situation we can see people as people yeah. and that's, um, you know in the, in the worst situations yeah. now that's the fundamental shift eh? that it's inadmissible to view people as a resource yeah, yeah, and you see the HR, you know, manifest people say they are our most important resources. And a resource you can exhaust. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If you understand what yeah, I mean. I but even the way that I see anyone that you see, even, even you know, I, I just see people going into, you know, even the way you, you treat uh, or you see the lady who serves uh, you with tea. Mm. I mean, it's a huge important role, but I mean, people just, I watch, uh, I watch uh, people, we, we, you know, when you're a guest at the organization, mm. uh, how the person will bring, I say lady, it could have been, it couldn't be a man, mm. bring you the tea. I mean, they don't even acknowledge that. Mm. And that to me says something. Mm -hmm. And just a quick one about the smell of an organization. The smell of an organization. There's good a smell you get into organization and you get a smell uh, you can immediately feel the culture you know you smell mm. the culture mm. is this a place conducive where people see people as people mm. where they uh, or is this a place where they you know just focus on the results mm. uh, and, and for me that whole notion of a smell you, you walk in as if you walk in uh, to a sweet shop you smell sugar you know yeah, what's going yeah, on yeah, yeah. And here you smell, you can say that immediately if you get into a place what the culture is. That's amazing. Yeah. Hmm. And that could be a culture for growth and for learning and for development, hmm. or it can be a very restrictive authoritarian culture. You pick it up just like hmm. that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Francois, the, uh, your... So, so one of the things we touched on last time and that I, I really would have liked to and uh, would like to pursue again um, f is this whole idea of the, the the role of the mentor. Now, I mean, um, dare I say that you you've played this role to innumerable um, uh, executives in your career and you still do so today. I mean, there's a number of people, very significant people in the city that... Uh, listen to your guidance and you, you've got some really interesting views about the rules of that game i mean how do you play that role well just how do you play the role well but you know what i'm tempted to tell you a story uh, but it, uh, it uh, might be too long can i can i give it a Come go and see? yeah please yeah okay so i was just finished as, as a clinical psychologist and yeah, I got a call uh, from the Christian alcoholic, um, you know, Christian, I can't remember what they call themselves, but they work with, with alcoholics, right? Mm -hmm. And the guy said to me, 
you know, it was five o'clock or six o'clock the evening. I was still uh, in the hospital. I worked in the mm. mental hospital. And the guy said to me, um, I, uh, we, uh, are you still on for seven o'clock? I said, what? And he said, listen, remember, you're going to give us a talk on alcoholism. Uh-uh. But I, I thought it's the, the, the following week. And, okay. you know, all of my studies, I never did anything on alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And I ran to a colleague of mine and he did his honors. This is something. And he had a paper on alcoholism, you know, the steps and all that. Yes, but I grabbed that paper in the car. Every robot, I just checked through you know, the pages, <laughs> and I, I sort of got myself into you know alcoholism. Uh-huh. But but I basically knew is that you know those people drink too much and they have a problem. So I got there, and uh, and and uh, they were all sitting there in in a, in a sort of a fairly big uh, uh, venue, and the chairman uh, said he start with a with prayers and uh, opening with a prayer and he thanked the Lord for this expert that's been sent uh, to them to talk to him. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I wished, you know, I prayed for the floor <laughs> to just open and swallow me and so on. But anyway, so <laughs> I got up and then he introduced me as this expert from the hospital. And I said, listen, I've got the paper here, we can talk about this. But I said, listen, who am I to tell you about alcoholism? I mean, you threw this thing. Can you just share some of the stories uh, with me, you know, and your challenges? Yeah, they couldn't stop talking. We went far over the time. Uh And I took my little paper there, but it was a huge success. Right? So you didn't say a word. I didn't say a word. I asked a few <laughs> questions. But I showed interest. Uh, so I got, and, and just the following day or week, the guy phoned me and said, that was such a success. You know, people loved that the mm. evening. Could I do it the next month at the big gathering? Before oh. that? I said, no, fine. Yes, but this time I prepared. And I knew anything, everything that you could think about there, about Mm. And I got and I gave a lecture, but what it 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 been you know like a dead a lead balloon that thing. I went there as a total flop. So I I <coughs> soon in my life realized if you want to be the expert, I mean there's no you don't have the answers to these things. Mm. But if you show your interest, but then to be really interested in people. Mm-hmm. And I must say, it's go. You know, for me, to to work with the, with the people that I work every time I felt, you know, it's actually a privilege, and I'm just amazed what people can do. Mm-hmm. And if if one can retain this, you know, sort of being in awe of people, because everyone has got a story and an interesting story. Mm-hmm. So if if I people that I coach, I see that we, I don't have the answers. I read a book uh, which said, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. Mm-hmm. Because anyone who comes to you and says he has the answer, you know, he's just going to, to, mm-hmm. to create big problems. And another thing that I believe is that uh, most harm is done in the name of health rules. Mm-hmm. You know, if you feel mm-hmm. you've got the answers to help, and mm-hmm. then we, we become controlling. So for me to start off with is to 
to just have this realization and that your mentee or even a clinical patient, if you mm -hmm. can call it that, uh, must realize you don't have the answer. We both pilgrims on this pilgrimage to mm -hmm. enlightenment mm -hmm. and to be, become fully functioning people. Mm. And and we in this together, and 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 I will play a role as you know, reflecting and asking questions in this process. But I learn often learn more in a discussion mm. maybe than the other. So for me, that is just a, a point of departure to mm. say that you have this sort of uh, uh, if you're in awe, then you're actually grateful that you're part of this. Yeah, yeah, and then and then you stay humble. Yeah. And for me, and that's what I learned from you, is to to surrender the outcome. Mm. Because the moment I sit and I think, but this guy pays me to be here, I must be clever. Then I start uh, making my, my mistakes. I must forget the outcome of this. Mm. He mustn't go out and say yes, but that was mm. uh, the the best compliments I get I got for being clever was when I didn't say a word. Amazing. You know, then people will say, you know, that was a wonderful discussion. You know, <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the person himself sits with yeah. the answers. The moment you don't understand the context, yeah. it's, it's the same with facilitation. Yeah. I don't know if that's sort of... No, that's absolutely but, but, between the eyes. I mean, that's such an important lesson uh, for facilitators to learn and for, for coaches to learn. And, and it's... Um, yeah. You know, it completely concurs with my own experience. So, I, you know, I've always prided myself in the fact that I've developed content. I mean, it, you know, the work that I do is research-based and there's all of these insights. And that does um, put a presumption in your head that you're going into your client's office, you know, having to enlighten the client. I mean, the, you know, he's getting you there for that purpose. And I can't tell you how my, I've built a career on shutting up. Um, yeah. um, I can't tell you how often I've gone into a guy's office. I open my mouth to try and say something profound and his hand literally comes up like, shut up, you know? And I, I mean, I've, I've been amazed at how much money over the years people have paid me for doing nothing other than just giving them my eyes. Yeah. But you know what? I wonder... And that is with HR, I often say to my HR or those days HR colleagues, our biggest, uh, what can I, uh, you know, sort of trap is our sense of responsibility. Mm. So I feel so responsible to be of help. Mm. But, but that's, not, that's not going to work here. So, yeah. you know, is to, be, to just stay absolutely interested in mm. you know i don't know if you know nancy Klein's work uh, yes. yes time to think yeah and she's got an exercise that i often use when i do sessions it's just a brief mm. exercise you say you pay off um, you know a and b and then i ask me uh what do you what do you want to think about today mm. you know i give them a few minutes aside mm. what do you think about today and then i say B asks the question to A, what do you want to think about today? And then I say, but you, B, you don't say a word. Mm. You might make an emotional grunt here and there, mm. but you don't say anything. Mm. And then let the other one talk, and then when that one stops talking, you say anything more, 
that you would think about. And then that person goes on again. Mm. And often we start talking if the other one stops, but we don't realize that his or her brain is still working. You will see mm. the eyes looking down, mm. still mm. thinking, processing, and then we jump in. Even the Freudian thing after the Rogers thing of reflecting, mm. Mm. is dangerous in a sense, but it takes also your thought pattern in another direction. Yeah, yeah, another direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we cannot, and then I come back to, and I remember very well how you said it, um, and the analogy you used about trust, you said mm. that um, if I'm drowning and you jump in to save my life, mm. you suspend what's important to you, mm. that's your life for me, Mm. I will trust you forever. I will go mm. to war with you, mm. right? And we had a, we, an example in my life as uh, this founder, Larry Dippenau. Mm. You know, that man listens to you. So if you go to him with something, you know what he's going to say because he's going to listen to you. Right, uh, right. And, you know, he, he's really listening. But now, what I'm saying about the river, we're jumping off in the water. We can't go around jumping in water for one another. Mm. I mean, there's not enough water around for me to jump in to save your life. <laughs> but what I could do is I can suspend my thoughts for you. Yeah. And that is even more powerful. That is right. You know, when, you know, when my grandchild comes in, I think of, of all mm. the things I still want to do, and I can't suspend that for him or my child or my wife, my partner, my spouse, mm. whatever. Is suspending your inner dialogue for mm. the other mm. is for me one of the ultimate things I can do for the other because mm. I'm giving my time, my my thoughts, yeah. everything for Actually, the, the most precious thing you have, which is the moment, because it's all that there is. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I like that. This moment yeah. is the most precious thing. Yeah. Because the past is gone. That's right. It's a. a, a it's a. It's a creative memory of the past right. we create right. and, right. The, and the future is a projection yeah yeah i like that most well, precious thing you. i can give you yeah, yeah i like that francois as always i mean i hope to pick up more of these pick your brain more uh, over time i mean every time we chat there's there's real insight i mean i'm aware that you've got a little bit of a time constraint this afternoon so um I'm hoping we can have a, f a further conversation a little bit further down the line. Yeah, what I would like to just touch on is the way that we, in one of our companies, moved from unashamedly result-driven, right. and then that your you, you did that intervention where then we moved from uh, you know the way we see people, yeah. as I explained, oh. uh, and realized to be ultimately results-driven is actually we our people feel exploited in yeah. order to give the result. Yeah. Do you, so do maybe at a stage or, up now, but can we do, do or should we have that as, as a further conversation a bit further down the line? We can give it No, yeah. maybe I can just mention that while we're on the HR. Okay, right. Uh, uh, yeah, at Momentum you will remember that we met and then you had that the intervention there and we had that as part we actually bragged about that that we unashamedly mm -hmm. results driven. Then we, 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 you came and you did that in, intervention with a couple of our leadership teams and, and, and the philosophy changed there. 
in terms of uh, intent became a big thing. Even in in moment in F and B, remember also you know you had a big huge yeah. intervention. Yeah. Then Derek yeah. Carstens then was the the the, the brand director. Right. Yeah. What is he? But yeah, yeah, brand and marketing. Brand and marketing. Director. Yeah. So I wrote him uh, a, a story because I wrote it for our internal magazine. Uh, the the thing about intent, uh, your three phases, and I and I had that, you know, uh, explained that in the document, and and he read that, and he he was actually quite excited. Even now, he talk about you know intent. Hmm. And I don't want to give, uh, you know, this intervention credit for where F&B landed on uh, how can we help you. But I, you know, it might not be do justice to him, but I do feel that played a huge role. Hmm. But eventually in the culture of momentum, you don't know, every time that Michael John Don stood up to talk about strategy, he talked about, um, about our intent, are we here to get, mm. or are we here to make this a better place? Now, interesting thing where it helped me, I I had to see the uh, new, uh, what do you call it, the people joining the organization, the newcomers, uh, recruits, and then I had that induction, and mm. they asked me to make a presentation to all the new recruits. Mm. And there I asked, I said, I've seen through the years, mm. what, what is the question you ask when you join an organization? If you join the organization and ask, what can this organization do for you? Mm. Uh, as opposed to how can I make this organization a better place? And then in the process, I become a better person mm. because I'm learning and growing with the organization. Mm. And I said, I follow those people careers and 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 the, and the person with the attitude what can this place mean for you normally don't make it Maybe. but if you come with the attitude and the intent of you know what will my contribution be here mm. then the career path is totally different mm. francois thank you very much for your time okay great uh, it's always nice to thank you i hope to speak again soon <laughs>